You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Well, hello, dealmakers, and welcome to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Podcast. Great to have you on the show. This show was brought to you by Dealmaker Certification, the proven system to get you where you are right now into your first deal. In fact, we guarantee that by the time you're done with this program, you'll be ready to do your first deal. You'll know how to call brokers. You'll know everything about investing in multifamily. You'll be able to raise capital. And so that is all Dealmaker Certification. Check it out at dealmakercertification.com and uh, check out our free training that we have there to kind of give you an introduction into what it's like to get started with multifamily. Also, I want to give you a shout out to our podcast reviewer, iTunes, Kevin Killen said, learn something new today. Okay, that's good. It's a great tagline. Thanks, Kevin, for that. If you love the show, we'd love to have your review on iTunes as well. Also want to do a shout out to one of our mentoring students, Reed Starkey, who did his first deal, 236 units in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Wow, $16 million deal. That is a heck of a deal, Reed. His mentor was Drew Whitson. I also know that he partnered with a few people on that. And uh, congratulations, Reed, on that. If you do want to check out our mentoring, if you value mentoring, check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and learn about our mentoring and schedule a call with us to see if mentoring is right for you. And you too can accelerate your, your results. Larger deals avoid some of those big mistakes by working directly with one of our full-time mentors as well. All right. So with that here, I want to answer a major question on the show, which is a question I get a lot, especially lately, which is my goodness, is now really a good time to get started in multifamily, right? We've kind of a little up and down roller coaster here with with COVID, you know, bridge lending went away and then, you know, the sky was going to fall all of a sudden it didn't and things got even hotter than before, right? So the question really is is now the right time? Now, to disappoint the audience here, the short answer and I'll give you a longer one in a second, but the short answer is no. Cuz it's never really the right time, is it? I mean, think back earlier in the year before COVID, right? Market's hot. Market's hot. Red hot, right? Why don't I wait till the market cools? Well, shoot. Then COVID came around and the market cooled. And then we're like, oh, no, we can't do a deal right now. Uh, we can't get a deal. We can't get loans right now. And, uh, uh, you know, the sellers are asking too much. It can't be done right now either. Well, okay, so that's not the right time. But you asked for cooling off and that came. And now it has cooled off. Well, then all of a sudden sometime... After COVID, I don't know exactly when, people started saying the opposite again. They're like, oh my gosh, COVID, I guess, wasn't so bad, and now it's gotten too hot again. Now, is the time really ever right? And the answer to that is no, and that is lesson number one of the podcast today, which is there's never a perfect time to get started. That's lesson number one, okay? If you try to get it just right, the stars will never always align. There's always going to be something that's not right about the situation in your personal life, in your professional life, in your finances, in whatever. Just never a perfect time. Therefore, don't look for a perfect time because it doesn't exist. Now, lesson number two in this regard is, are the fundamentals of the investment asset class strong enough? Right? Because if it is, then stick with a strategy and adjust the tactics. So lesson number two is if the fundamentals are strong, stick with a strategy and adjust the tactics. Too often I see people 
making knee-jerk reactions of something what's going on. I mean, even with COVID, people said, oh my gosh, I got to start investing in the country because everyone's moving the country, right? But what if COVID then kind of normalizes and people go, oh my gosh, I really do miss walking to restaurants and I really love the theater and I'm going back to the city, right? Now, all of a sudden, I invested all this money in, in suburban living and it, and it kind of swung back. So don't have knee-jerk reactions on something. Look at the fundamentals. And the fundamentals of multifamily are strong. They're amazingly strong, not only in COVID, but also how it performed in 2008 when the entire world blew up except for multifamily, right? And so are the fundamentals strong? Do you believe in the fundamentals? And we're going to answer that question today because you might say, well, Michael, I'm not so sure if I believe in the fundamentals. And we're going to talk about the fundamentals today. But if you do believe in the fundamentals and you can make up your mind after this show is over, then stick with the strategy and adjust your tactics. My gosh, we've had to do a lot of adjusting of tactics after COVID. For example, you know, bridge loans went away. The terms went away. Loan to value went down. You couldn't finance construction anymore. You had to put nine to 12 months of money in escrow. Well, we modified our underwriting and we did two deals last year in COVID and we did so by adjusting our underwriting, but we did not adjust our strategy in that sense. So lesson number two is inspect the fundamentals and stick with the strategy if they're sound and adjust the tactics. Now let's answer the question, is the market too hot? I mean, clearly we've had a major run-up in prices and we've had that run-up since, gosh, 2012, 11, ever since the, the last recession recovered. You know, and it's it seems like it seems like we're in a bubble. You know, the question is, are we in a bubble? And the definition of a bubble is basically there's an environment where speculators are making money hand over fist. In a bubble, the fundamentals are out the window. We saw several bubbles. We saw it in the in the late two, uh, 19, 1990s with the dot com boom and bust. Companies were trading at un, un, no one could actually gauge the value of a company. You know, then we saw it again in 2005 in the run-up of real estate where you could buy a house and sell it for $20,000 more three weeks later. You haven't done anything at all. That is speculation, my friends. That's where the fundamentals are out the window and you don't even know what's going on anymore. I mean, to some degree, you look at Bitcoin, right? You're like, I don't know what's driving Bitcoin. Why is it going up? I don't know. Why does it go down? I don't know. Like the fundamentals just aren't there. I don't understand the fundamentals. And I've even talked to some Bitcoin experts. They can't explain it to me. Therefore, to me, it's pure speculation. Now, the question is, are we in a speculative market? And I don't think we are. But let me make the case and you make up your own mind. There's really three things, three reasons why prices are going up. Okay, three things. One is we've had low interest rates. And just when we thought they couldn't get any lower, they went even lower. So we have low interest rates. Well, that obviously is going to drive up prices. Then we've had increased demand which is fueled by limited supply. So that's a factor there. And then we are in an unusually high inflationary environment, therefore also increasing rents. Okay, so let's look at each of these, not only what's happening, but what I'm seeing in my crystal ball about each of those. Let's look at interest rates right now. So if you, if you parse the Fed's guidance from the last, gosh, I don't know, 12 months, you know, they're talking basically consensus is interest rates are low, we're going to keep them low through 2022, and we may hike it up one or two times in 2023. But the bottom line is interest rates are going to stay super low, certainly for the rest of this year and the next of year. That is everyone's agreement right now. So why are these, why is the Fed doing that, doing this? Why are they, why are they keeping these interest rates low? Well, they're doing it because they feel like they need to fuel the economy. 
Okay, they now want to kind of jumpstart the economy, and it worked so great in the last recession that we're now they're literally buying 120 billion dollars per month in mortgage-backed securities, and this is one of the the biggest factors why the interest rates, you know, are of course so low, and we are kind of in an environment that's that's hard to understand because I've been studying this a little bit. I'm like, what is interest rates and what is it there? Obviously, the interest rates are low. Then the economy is it's cheaper to borrow money. Therefore, more people will borrow money and put more into the economy. At the same time, inflation, if we raise in, it, we can fight inflation by raising the interest rates. Well, I'll talk about inflation next. But what is the outlook on interest rates maybe after three years? So for the next two years, the consensus is we ain't doing nothing. Okay, so that's great. But what about after that? And the problem really is for the Fed, if it is true that raising interest rates are there to fight rising inflation, which they acknowledge is at this point transitory, not permanent. Therefore, I don't need to fix anything because it ain't broke. Therefore, I'm not touching interest rates. But even if they were to try to increase the interest rates, they have a major problem. For the first time ever, we are at the we are above 28 trillion in U.S. debt. Never before have we had that much debt. Therefore, if we raised, if the government raised the interest rates by one percent the interest rates alone would be higher than Medicaid and Medicare, okay? And so 2% higher, just 2% higher, the debt service alone would be higher than all defense spending. Imagine that, 2% higher, going from 0% where they are now to 2%, the debt service alone would be higher than all worldwide defense. It's a staggering sum. Therefore, raising the rates even by a little bit is going to create a massive problem. Right. So I think the Fed is going to have a problem if they actually ever acknowledge that inflation is really an issue and they actually wanted to fight it with interest rate hikes. They they can't do it. How are they going to do it? Can't even service the debt. So I think there's a major problem with interest rates, which, of course, for us in the short term is good because interest rates are going to stay low. And this, by the way, is also one of the reasons that prices have been going higher is because interest rates have been going lower. You has got to be honest about that. So obviously, low interest rates means continued high prices, or at least the same prices. Now, the thing that could drive up prices is the next two factors, which is increased demand and rising inflation. So let's talk about increased demand first. First of all, for a variety of different reasons that we can argue about all day long, we've had soaring costs, uh, particularly around construction material, wood, and things of that nature. And this really affects everything because, because this affects new home builds, right? We have this massive home shortage. We've had it for a long time and builders have not been able to catch up at all. And now we have these skyrocketing costs making the price of house so expensive for builders to be competitive and then homeowners being able to afford it. So the last 12 months, the median house price went up from 286 to 326,000. And the housing shortage is worse than ever. Some experts I saw on Forbes will say it would take a decade of record construction to fix this problem, right? Skyrocketing steel lumber costs, right? Just go online and look at this kind of stuff. And, and it's really driving up the house, not only driving up the houses, which is one thing, but the supply is simply not there. And this affects, of course, any kind of multifamily construction as well. And the truth is, you know, the soaring construction costs means that there's a low supply of affordable housing. You can't Look, you weren't even able to, to build affordable housing before COVID, okay? You can only really just buy uh, build Class A housing, uh, but it's, it was already too expensive. And now it's almost impossible to create more affordable housing. Well, affordable housing, therefore, has a stagnant supply and an increasing number of people who want it. 
And so therefore, we have an even bigger shortage in affordable housing than we've ever had before. And that's driving up demand. So we have this housing shortage going on right now. And the, the thing about the housing shortage is, you know, it's not created equal. So it's not going up equally across the board in the country. Rents are increasing in some parts and some parts are not. Uh, for example, if you look at some of the population migration, you know from reading headlines that people are fleeing to big cities like San Francisco and L.A. you know, or New York, and they're moving into Phoenix, Huntsville, Atlanta. If you look at all the population growth in those areas, that's exactly where, where it's going. If you look at the rent increases in those areas, rent is going down in areas like San Francisco and going up in areas like Boise. They're going down in New York City and going up in Huntsville, for example. So, so these population trends and these demand drivers are not created equally throughout the country. They are local or regional. So these housing shortages and this demand for affordable housing, coupled with COVID where people can work from anywhere, is driving people in a migrating part uh, and, and you know, basically moving in a way that's never happened before in recent history. And they're moving into the southern, southeastern part of the, of the country. And that is something that's never really happened before. And so you want to be investing in those areas. That's where you want to be. So that's number number one. Number two, at, while this is going on, though, while there's a housing shortage and prices going up, incomes have been going higher. And they've been going higher uh, ever since 2010, after we're knocked down the recession. They are now at their highest points ever in U.S. history. The incomes have been. And this has been accelerated by the COVID and the subsidies that we got. The average household got over $11,000 in, in money. We got increased employment benefits. People have more money than ever before. And that then means that they can pay more on housing. Uh, and therefore, housing houses are still being sold within a day. And that's also why rents are going up, which leads me to the next thing, which is we are in an inflationary environment right now. You hear about this everywhere on, on the news. We just talked about some of the, the rising construction costs, but we see it in things like you know used car prices are going up. And you can blame it on the supply chain, yes, and I'm sure it was reduced a little bit, but it, can't, it doesn't really explain why it's still here and or why it would even be transitory or temporary, right? I mean, think about it. If, if you lock in a tenant at a certain higher rent, okay, once, once their 12-month lease is up, it's not going to go back down. That doesn't make any sense. You know, they're used to paying that now and they're used to paying whatever $10 a foot for uh, for wood. And once that's in place, people aren't, they're not going to pay less. It just is, it just is what it is. The inflationary environment is higher than, than ever before, which is underneath all, it's, it's a symptom of the problem, which is people have more money to spend because of all this free money out there. So the inflation rate is right now by all measures around 5%. Though surprisingly, the Fed is still saying it's slightly higher than their target of 2.2. I don't know how they're saying that since every measure is putting it somewhere between 5 and 6%. And by the time we're done this year, it'll probably be closer to 10%. But I'm okay with it. You know, because here's what it means. A rising inflation means that incomes are going up. Okay, In fact, we're seeing this going up right now. We're getting rents, guys, right now that we haven't projected for year four and five. And some of our properties, rents have gone up 10% year over year. And it's like, you know, it's like trying, hey, let's jump it by $50. $50. We're, you know, we're 95 to 96% occupied. Let's see if we can get $50, get $50 more, $100 more, $100. There's so much, there's so much competition for affordable housing of high quality that we're getting higher and higher rents. But let's say inflation kicks in, you know, at higher than 5%, 10%, right? So incomes, the rents are now going up by whatever, 5 or 10%, whatever the case is. And your expenses, of course, are going up by the same exact amount. 
But since income, so it's let's say it's 5%, <clears throat> it's going up 5%, expenses are going up 5%. Well, your NOI over time is not going up by 5%. It's going up in a, in a, in a, it's going to get higher and higher every single month this goes on. In other words, the NOI keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the inflation stays the same. Therefore, if NOI goes up, as you know, the value of buildings goes up. Okay. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Basically, these, all these factors that are, that are fueling inflation, putting more money in the system, increasing expenses, low supply, high demand, all these things are driving up the rents and therefore driving up the prices of these buildings. Now, the question is, how can this possibly go on? Well, let's talk about it right now. You know, we have, we have interest rates. We talked about these are, we're going to stay here for at least two to three years based on current guidance. And then again, I don't know what the Fed can do to materially increase those rents. I think the bigger risk is inflation. If the Fed can't raise interest rates to slow down inflation, it could get even higher. Well, that's okay. We're going to make more and more money with a rising inflation. The key is to get into now while it's still 5%. Get And it just started right now. So if inflation continues what it appears like it is, then rents and prices are going to continue going up even higher, right? So, and then we have ongoing demand. There is nothing in the cards that's showing us that the supply is going to get increased in a meaningful way in the affordable housing rental space. It's just not there. Therefore, we have continued high demand and no increase in supply whatsoever. So I add all this stuff together, high demand plus limited supply, rising incomes and inflation, of course, means higher rents coupled with ongoing low interest rates means that we're going to get higher prices in the foreseeable future. So this is what I'm telling you guys. How can it go even higher? Well, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, except when you look at the fundamentals, the fundamentals are there to support ongoing prices increases. Okay. Now think about us yourself. And to make your own decision, I just think where I'm sitting here, and I I have been, you know, I've grown very cautious in my in my longer career as an entrepreneur. When I lost my my shirt, my shorts, and almost my underwear in the restaurant business, where I lost everything, where I did not bother to look at the downside of investment. I didn't bother to look at what could happen in a economic downturn. Well, restaurants got clobbered. I didn't I didn't consider what would happen in that in that case or if employees steal from you. I never considered the downside. Well, now I'm always looking at the downside. And I'm looking at this from a very skeptical perspective and I'm like I'm just saying it. I'm just you know, I have some of these conversations with some of my peers and I'm like, "How can this go even higher?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, it looks like it can." And it probably will. Therefore, I think we're going to look back on this period in 2021 like we are looking back on 2015 right now going, my goodness, had I got into multifamily real estate five years ago, right? Now, of course, at the time, 2015 was about 10 years after the recession and it was like ramping up like a hockey stick and we're like, oh, it's too hot. I'm going to wait till it slows down. Of course, it never did. And I think that's the kind of environment that, that we're, we're in. And it's really being held up by the government and and these quantitative easing measures that are putting so much liquidity in the market and it's just fueling this inflation now where is this going to end long term i don't know you know we can speculate over the devaluation of the dollar and what happens then and now we have some kind of massive default situation i don't know i think in my mind that's that's definitely beyond five years but i think it's something that we need to consider at the end of the day though at when that happens i want to hold real assets I want to hold things that have intrinsic value, such as real estate or gold or a car or bullets, right? <laughs> Anything that has intrinsic value uh, that I can trade for something else or some other currency that comes along. I don't want to hold 
useless things like paper currencies, etc., or Bitcoin for that matter, or, or maybe even stocks for goodness sakes. Okay. So I'm saying real assets is where it's at right now. And so, you know, this is what I'm seeing in my crystal ball. I think prices are going up even higher. And so we're continuing to to buy. But here's the thing about we're continuing to buy, right? We're not we're not like throwing our underwriting out the out the window. We're not throwing our criteria out the window. We're not throwing our networks out the out the window. It's not like we're getting exuberant. We are very skeptical and very suspicious and very cautious uh, about everything that we're that we're doing here. And so I just encourage you to formulate your own opinion. My opinion is is uh, now is as good as time as ever to get in. It's a, it's as good as or bad as it was a year ago, two years ago, or 2015. And the lesson I have for, for you guys right now, we had that lesson, if the fundamentals are strong, stick with a strategy. I just I think I just proved to you that the fundamentals have been strong through the last two recessions, and the fundamentals are pointing to higher prices. However, you do have to adjust your tactics as the market changes from month to month from now. So lesson number three is, I would invite you to consider, don't ask, should I get started? But ask instead, how can I get started? Okay, that's really the, the question. And that's a question I want you guys to talk about. So, and there comes a point where you you you, you got to stop, you know, listening to another podcast episode or reading another book. You have to just invest in your education. And we want to be there for you. We have, my gosh, we've been doing this now for over six years. And we have helped so many people do their first deal and then quit their job that we've really dialed it in. And I like to think that we have something for everyone, regardless of where you are in your current state and your phase. We have something, if you've never done your deal before, we have something for you if you've done a handful of deals and you want to raise more money, you want to really uh, scale your capital raising. So just check us out at themichaelblank.com and click on products or programs. Yeah, we have dealmaker certification that I mentioned earlier. It's kind of a, it's just our online course, our certification and community to really position you to do your own deal yourself. Uh, if you have the means and can invest in a mentor, then invest in our mentorship program. You're working one-on-one -on -one with someone in a group and, and joining a network uh, to basically join venture with each other. If you're an experienced syndicator, you're looking to scale, check out our Platform Builders program. It's platformbuilders.com. Show you how to basically 10x your capital raise. So, you know, next step for you would be to invest in yourself, whatever that means for you. So again, there we go. Those are uh, the main lessons really is just remember, there's never a, a perfect time to get started and look at the fundamentals, study fundamentals. And then if you like the fundamentals of the asset class, then stick with the strategy and adjust your tactics. And lesson number three is don't ask, should I get started? But ask instead, how can I get started? So hopefully you guys found that valuable. And uh, of course, you know, we're talking to the active entrepreneur who wants to get started here in with, with apartment building investing. But there's a, a few of you listening who goes, well, this is great, Michael. But you know what? I don't necessarily really want to get active in the business myself. How can I do the same thing? How can I become financially free? How can I exit my medical practice or my executive position or my law practice? And the answer to that would be, well, you could start investing passively in multifamily syndications. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. Our investment company is called Nighthawk Equity. We're at nighthawkequity.com. And uh, just check us out. Click the join button. You can fill out a short form and schedule a call with us. And we'd be happy to put you on your list for an upcoming deal. And uh, in fact, we were just awarded a deal uh, recently and really excited about, about that. And so we're always busy sourcing high quality deals that generate cash flow appreciation and tax benefits as well. So anyway, hopefully you found that useful. 
in looking in your own looking glass and see what's ahead of you. And hopefully you use that to take action, whatever that means for you. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.